What's up, Gator Nation? Welcome to today's episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast, where we are going to break down the Gators game against the Georgia Bulldogs this coming Saturday. I am in all kinds of weather creator and lead writer, Neil Shulman. You can follow me on Twitter at all kinds weather. And for the second show in a row, I am taking the hosting role because this time our usual host, Dustin Smith is currently in the car driving. Uh, this is the really the best time we could make it work for this pod in large part because I'm going to Jacksonville. It'll be my first ever Florida Georgia game. I'm excited about that. Um, but so yeah, the, the, the travel itinerary and Dustin's work schedule could only align for this episode with Dustin in his car. So we get another episode of driving with Dustin. So I'm excited about Florida, Georgia, Dustin, uh, how, how was your level of excitement and how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Um, the thing about this game, Neil, is you, it, you always got to expect the unexpected. So obviously we're, we're not thinking too highly of the Gators right now, but at the end of the day, it's a Florida Georgia game. We remember 2014, uh, Will Muschamp was on his way out. Florida looked pretty bad. And then they play a Georgia team that was supposed to win handily. They play a Georgia team and they spoke. So uh, I think Florida got either close to 400 yards rushing or just a little bit over 400 yards rushing in uh bludgeoning, for lack of a better term, of the Georgia Bulldogs um, and their front seven. So I'm I'm excited about the game. <laughs> little little concerned about the, the team, the Gators, but, you know, driving with Dustin, cruising down one of the highways in uh, central Florida, talking with uh, with Gator Nation. What a, what a better way to spend, uh, spend my driving time. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, to be exact, Florida rushed for 418 yards that day. Uh, Treon Harris completed a grand total of three passes for 27 yards. And yet he walks away from that game with a 2-0 and record against his Bulldogs. Florida's definitely got better quarterbacks than Treon Harris this upcoming weekend. I think that's a very easy uh, bar to clear, but they do have better QB play than that. And then again, there was 2014, as you mentioned, there was 2002. Florida was a huge underdog in that game. That directly cost Georgia a national championship. 2003, similar setup. And again, Florida delivered Georgia a pretty crippling loss. 2005, not quite the same because Florida was, was good that year. They were ranked they had something cooking with Urban Meyer in his first year, but another upset there. It was 16 in the country, beating four in the country. And um, even even 2010, I would say, in Florida was was pretty demonstrably bad that year. Georgia wasn't great, but they had seemed to be turning a corner, whereas Florida was sort of trending the wrong way on a on a bit of a losing streak there. They lost to. Alabama, they lost to LSU, they lost to Mississippi State. So they were on a three-game losing streak before coming into that game and riding the ship. So crazier things have happened. Uh, I think Florida deserves to be a 14-point underdog, if not worse. But, yeah, man, I'm I'm ready to go. I'm ready to see the camaraderie that that comes with this game, I'm ready to see the, the weekend of partying that Jacksonville's got in store. Um yeah, it's regardless of the outcome, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that uh you know the the party in motion. I do hope Florida wins to make it worth my while, but even if Florida does lose, I think it will be definitely worth the trip. Yeah, deal. Um I've been to pretty much every Florida Georgia game since I can remember. Um started going in uh back in two thousand five with my family. Um and uh, I probably attended a few even before that, but that was a lot. That was the first one I remember consciously, the 2005 game, which was uh, pretty good. Um, now, this will actually make the second straight Florida Georgia game that I cannot attend. Uh, ironically, both are due to work, uh, both last time and this time. A specific event fell on 
this particular date or weekend. And it, uh, because I can't be in two places at once, I, I had to make a choice. So, yeah, man, I wish I could have been there to hang out with you and, and uh, support my Gators, um, as we like to say around here, in all kinds of weather. But here we are, Neil. We have a, we have a game to discuss, but I want to hear about, about your past weekend. I, I know that, that you're, um, you're close with uh, James Houston. Tell me about your time at uh, Jackson State. Oh man, it, it was great. Uh, well, well, first I was in NOLA. Uh, I went to Bourbon Street, went right past the site of that famous fight between Florida and Miami right before the 01 Sugar Bowl. And then I went to the Superdome because, you know, 5220 history happened there. And then I drove up to Jackson. So uh, I actually had a press pass for, with field access for that game for a story I'll be working on throughout the rest of the season. So I was close enough to hear him directing the defense from the defensive line position, which is pretty rare. Usually the Mike linebacker does that. Uh, but I mean, James is a Mike by trade, but he's been put on the edge to help the team best utilize his strengths and put someone else at middle linebacker who's not as good as rushing the QB as he is. But I mean, it, it was great to see him in action. It was great to see an HBCU school. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, HBCUs really know how to do game day. Uh, it's, it's very different. The, the numbers aren't quite there with Florida or Alabama or Georgia or Oklahoma, but I'll say that the people who go to those games really put their souls into it. There, there's just so much energy. There's so much spirit. They're all so friendly. I mean, the Bethune-Cookman and Jackson State fans were all so friendly to each other. Um, if y'all haven't gone to an HBCU game, whenever you get the chance, I definitely encourage you to do so. But anyway, as for the game, Bethune-Cookman specifically game planned around James Houston because he's that much of a problem for offenses. Um, and I know that because when I ran out of the field after the game to get some footage of him, a couple of their players who he was you know, shaking hands with and dapping up made a point to say, yeah, we had a game plan to stay away from you. We, we were explicitly told we're running the ball away from your side. We are, and we, we're, we're going to have doubles on you. We're specifically game planning to stop you. So he's not leading the FCS in sacks anymore. Teams have caught on to him and are paying special attention to him now. He didn't have a sack against Bethune-Cookman. But even still, despite being specifically game planned against, he still had five tackles all within a couple yards line of scrimmage and two of them for loss. So – I mean, he, he's balling out. He's in a better place now, and, and it's really awesome to see him be truly appreciated and used in a way that takes advantage of his skill set um, and, and play as much as he deserves to be playing. Todd Grantham really, really screwed that up. Um, but he's not now, the only one, so I'm not going to claim victim for James. He's not the only one who, who suffered from Grantham's idiocy. But, yeah, man, great, great trip. Um, Yep. So let's uh, let's talk about the guys who who are Gators right now, or, or at least two that were supposed to be Gators, and in the last week have changed their minds about that. We got Shamar James, a linebacker from Alabama that we were both very high on, who supposedly shut down his recruitment, uh, and Julian Humphrey, a cornerback who. I think was a four star, but really, really looked like a day one starter for Florida. He, I mean, he, he definitely has some work to do, but he looked like within an off season, he could be a game one starter for the Gators. Neither of them are committed anymore. They both backed off their commitment. Of course, the prevailing thinking is that Todd Grantham being on his way out is impacting their feelings towards the Gators in a negative way. So both of them, said, you know, we're no longer committed. We respect the UF and their staff, but we decide, uh, we have decided that it's no longer in our best interest to be committed here. So Dustin, you're the recruiting expert. Um, I mean, what did you make of this and, and what do you think Florida loses in these two guys? Well, Neil, I just want to say two things. So first off, the optics is never good. It's never good when two um, highly rated players, um, decide to decommit, especially players of their caliber, um, both of which when they, when they originally committed, we were, we were both ecstatic about, about their uh, 
opportunity to make an impact on this defense, a defense that has not looked uh, has not looked good. It has not been consistent. So anytime you can get blue chip talent on the squad, you want that. Now, I, I don't want to overreact to this. Now, it's not a secret on this show that none of us, and I'm going to include Casey on this, even though he's um, not available tonight, uh, none of us are uh, – <laughs> I'm going to get punched in the face for even putting this in a sentence together. But none of us are on Team Grantham, to, to put it politely. And we all think that Grantham's on his way out. So in my mind, I, my analysis to this is behind closed doors, the recruits are being basically told, hey, Grantham's on his way out. We're going to get a new guy uh, after the season's over. So that's what it is. And I think that's for the better. Obviously, that's for the better uh, for, for the Gators. We, we don't need Grantham. He's a problem. He's a problem on the field. And there's some out-the-field stuff potentially that I don't even want to get into right now. Um, I just oh, – we're going to be – You are towing that line, Dustin. Yes, sir. Future for a, it's for it's for a future uh, future discussion. Yes, I'll leave it at that though. But I will say this, Neil. It's for the better. It's for the better. Now that's my hopeful expectation. If that's not indeed the reason why these players are decommitting, and instead the reason is Dan Mullen, which I, that's the second thing I wanted to bring up. So. First thing, yeah, hopefully it's because Grantham's on his way out. Good thing for the program. We're going to get a defensive coordinator, uh, someone that anybody's going to be able to recruit better than than uh, than Grantham at this point. Um, Grantham wasn't bad at recruiting, but we could do better. So hopefully we get somebody like uh, Manny Diaz who can who can recruit, um, or maybe somebody like uh, Leonard in Wisconsin. Um, There's zero now, point zero percent chance Florida will get Jim Leonard from Wisconsin. I agree, but someone like him, sure, someone sure. like him, um, with with that pedigree. Anyhow, on the other side, uh, Dan Mullen. Um, we haven't really talked about this a lot uh, since the the news broke about Dan Mullen's um, show cause because of uh, some recruiting violations. Um, but unfortunately, he wasn't able to be on the road recruiting this past uh, this um, this past uh, bye week. So that's in part due to his uh, sanction, and he'll be able to be back on the trail in December for the uh, the the final push just before um, early signing day. So he'll, he should have about one or two weeks of time to uh, meet some kids on the trail before a lot of the recruits around the country sign with their respective schools. So this could be, this could very well be an issue that, that may, may be the precursor. I don't know. I don't have inside information on why Um, I'm more hopeful that it's the first than the second. So that's my thoughts. I know, I know um, I could talk for hours about recruiting, but I'm not. We're, we have a lot to talk about in this episode and not a lot of time to do it. So that's my two cents. Neil, before we, before we go and discuss Georgia, do you have any thoughts? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Where, where are you at with the whole thing? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I say this knowing that I said the same thing last year and I got burned by it, but I'm going to take a chance and say it again. It seems like it's fairly obvious that Todd Grantham will not be back next season. Last year, he had one extra year left on his contract, so there was a, well, we just don't want to pay a defensive coordinator's buyout, to which I'll say, okay, you're the University of Florida. You're you're not Ohio or Nevada or Connecticut. You have a multi-million dollar booster base. Figure it out. But story for another day. Uh, he was back. He did coach another year. And now Florida is going through this process of hemorrhaging when it could have already been done a year ago. Like this is going to happen whenever you have 
a coach, whether it's a head coach or defensive coordinator, or even a receivers coach, leave the program or it become very clear that he's on his way out and will soon leave the program, you're going to get kids that decided to commit to the coach despite the billions of times everyone who's ever logged on to Twitter can agree on the one thing being you commit to a school and not a coach, but kids do it anyway. So whatever, but there's, so there are always going to be kids who decommit in the wake of that. The thing for me is we should have already done this and gone through this process. We should have already hired a new defensive coordinator, had the guys who were going to decommit decommit and have this year be forget the on-field product, which has been atrocious, but the, the recruiting side of things would be, all right, we've got a defensive coordinator now that's in his, his first real year here and is recruiting towards the future. We could already have begun our build for the future recruiting pitch towards recruits. Instead, Mullen chose to stay stuck in the mud in reverse, unable to get out of it for a whole nother year before a tow truck comes along and just picks it up and lifts it out I mean, in, in this analogy. So Mullen delayed the inevitable by a year and it's hurting us now. Someone else could have come in. I mean, hell, Randy Shannon's not a great defensive coordinator, but he could recruit so maybe if just for argument's sake, I, I, I don't want Shannon as RDC, but just for argument's sake, let's say that Randy Shannon was RDC this year. He could have recruited Shamar James and Julio Humphrey and had them committed to him. He could have won that battle where as Todd Grantham, you know, sort of won it, but now that he's on his way out, no. And you know, Randy Shannon would have been in his first year and I don't know. He, he might've had some guys committed that way. And if it wasn't Shannon, it could have been someone else. You know, the, the point being we could have had someone yeah. else in year one of his defensive coordinator tenure at UF, that coach in his first year, win that battle for Shamar James, win that battle for Julio Humphrey and not have to be in this situation now, but we're in the position we're in and all we can do is just go forward. And the last thing I'll say about this is of course, when you have a coach leave, get fired, whatever you're going to have decommits naturally the thing people forget though is the other side of that rainbow and that is when a new coach comes in to replace the guy that got fired or left he'll typically bring a new wave of energy he'll go and land new batch of commits hopefully you know ballers hopefully guys who can play James and Humphrey are going to be hard to replace but hopefully a new DC can come in with a new energy that really wins over those new commits. The problem is early signing period means that this class is shot. And I mean, we're going to have to do some patchwork and put some scotch tape over bullet hole wounds to fill out our class this year. And next year we can get going on our, on a real class. This is going to be a transitional class. So that's, that's the source of frustration for me. It's not that James and Humphrey decommitted so much as it is the fact that, well, they committed and now we're not going to have a defensive coordinator be recruiting for this 2022 class. And so the class is just basically patchwork. So that's, that's my two cents. And, and with that said, let's talk about the guys who are on the team who are signed, sealed, delivered and the guys who were signed, sealed, delivered on the Georgia side. And this game in Jacksonville that always means so much every single year, despite the fact that Florida does not look like a very good football team right now, it is still a big game. Dustin, um, it's it's a weird sort of feel because Georgia, yeah, they blew out Vanderbilt 62-0. And yes, they definitely looked like the better team against Arkansas and Kentucky. There's no debating the point that Georgia was clearly better than both of them but they don't look so invincible they i mean for a number one team they don't look so bulletproof the problem is that florida has so many holes that i'm not sure florida can take advantage of that but let's let's start on the offensive side of the ball for georgia let's start about let's start talking about when georgia has the ball and florida is on defense um, there, there are rumors that Stetson Bennett might be able to, or, or that JT Daniels might be able to go. If he doesn't, Stetson Bennett has done fine. He hasn't been 
a real issue for them. He's thrown for almost 1,000 yards this year. Completion percentage is just under 70. He has thrown only two picks. He has thrown 11 touchdowns to combat those two picks. And I remember both of those picks. Neither was especially terrible. Uh, I think I think one, he thought he had a guy crossing, but he didn't. So he threw it right to a defender. The other one, he just overthrew. He sailed it by a couple of yards. So he has managed the game fine. He looks like a better QB than he was last year. He's not an all-star, but he looks like he is a quarterback that can win games for Georgia. So that's my take on the QB spot. They're going to be okay there regardless. Uh, but they don't win games with their QB. They win games with their running game. So after what we saw against LSU last week, that's an obvious point of discussion to start the game. Do you think that Florida's defense is going to learn anything? I mean, specifically about counterplays, but do you think that this defense will come out with a whole new energy this week, or are you expecting them to just lay over and play dead? Well, you know, that's the question of, of the game, of the analysis that we're doing right now. So just real quick. So, Florida, from a team speed standpoint, Florida is the fastest defense that Georgia up to this game and, and well, this game. So far, that, this is the fastest defense they'll play with the exception of maybe Clemson. Um, we all saw what happened in that game. Georgia was held to only 10 points. Now, Georgia is certainly much better offensively than they were even in that game against a formidable Clemson defense. Um, Clemson has a lot of problems this year. I don't think defense is one of them. Um, I'll leave well, it. Remember, at that. Dustin, they, they scored ten points because they had a pick six. Their offense generated three points. Oh yes, so three points. So um, I, yeah, but Georgia's offense is certainly better. Uh, they're running the ball well. Um, I've been very impressed with Zamir White. Uh, he's definitely living up to that five star billing. Um, he's definitely going to be somebody Florida needs to stop. Uh, you know, I'm concerned. Um, obviously we already discussed some of the, uh, the attrition and their, on the recruiting trail. This defense is very well aware that Grantham's probably on his way out. And based on some of the post-game comments from some of the athletes after the LSU game, they, a lot of the players realize it's for the better. Um, now, the question is, which defense is going to show up? Um, or is it going to be the defense that we saw against LSU? In which case, Florida's going to get absolutely destroyed. Um, you know, if, you, if, if, if LSU's running back is getting the yards he's getting, then I can only imagine what Zimbabwe White would get if we're that porous against Georgia. Um, or do we see the defense that, that showed up against Kentucky? Um, now, Kentucky's not as good as Georgia. Obviously, we saw with the game those two teams played. But Kentucky, Kentucky can run the ball. And Florida did a pretty good job at stopping the run in, in, that, in that particular matchup. So um, that's, that's the big question. And, you know, we're here hoping to give fan base some answers. But, Neil, I, I, I don't know what defense is going to show up. Now, unfortunately, I kind of have to lean on the side that the defense is probably going to look closer to what they looked like against LSU because that's the closest – as far as all this – if you look at each game as, as, a, as a, uh, an item of evidence, the closest item of evidence is the product – that this team put on the field against LSU. And even beyond that, the product that the coaching staff put on the field. Now, um, I'll just say this, and then I want to hear your thoughts. But bye weeks are interesting because coaches try to throw in a wrinkle that will give their team a competitive advantage. I have no doubt that on offense, Dan Mullen is going to have a wrinkle for Florida's offense. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. I'm, I, I have zero faith in, in Florida's defensive coaching staff. Um, we may blitz a little bit more. Oh, what a surprise. But other than, other than maybe some more blitzes or creative blitzes, I don't think 
that Florida's defensive staff is going to have anything creative. But I suspect on the offensive side for Georgia, I think their their wrinkles are going to hurt Florida. So that's where I'm at, Neil. Um, what, what are your thoughts right now in terms of this matchup between Florida's defense and Georgia's offense? So in football, the word jailbreak has a very specific meaning, but I'm going to change it a little bit, and I'm going to use the word in a different context than what it's usually used for. I'm going to use the word jailbreak right now in the sense that Florida's defense, including Todd Grantham, coaches and players, all know that Todd Grantham is not going to be back next year. I mean, they have to. They've got to know by now that he will not be back. So what does that mean for Grantham? I mean, because he's basically in the same position that Will Muschamp was in in 2014. He's basically in the same position that Jim McElwain was in in 2017. He's basically in the same position that Ed Orgeron was in in uh, two weeks ago. So I don't know what's going to happen because I don't know the mindset that Todd Grantham is going to bring into this game. Does he – does he get vindictive and just try to screw Florida over by calling random plays? Does he, I mean, does he, does he try to, you know, send a, a corner blitz when Georgia has five wide and it, like, it's an obvious like third and 35 situation. Does he try to send nine guys into the box? Does he go cover four on a, on a third and about three? I mean, I don't know because some of his play calls, some of his defensive schemes have been so unbelievably terrible when he's supposedly trying to win the game. But now, like, I don't know what his MO is like, and and maybe he's just trying to put together some good tapes some good stats for another prospective school or maybe even an NFL team to hire him. I genuinely have no idea what to expect for Grantham. He could just be out there saying, Hmm, I wonder, like, you know, you would think, that cover four is not a good play call for a third and two, and they're obviously going to slam the ball up the A-gap. But maybe, just maybe, a cover four look will scare Georgia and make them try to audible out of it and into something else. Maybe I can play head games with them. Where normally you'd say, that's insane, that's ridiculous. No one would ever in their right mind tell you to do that. But maybe Grantham says, well, I'm getting fired anyway. May as well play around and just have some fun out here and just see what happens when you start pouring, like in science class, you just, you just start pouring random, you know, colorful liquids into other beakers. I don't know what's going to happen. Let's find out. I don't know. Let's see what happens. Like he could do that or he could take it really seriously and say, well, all right, I'm going to get fired but I need to make my resume look as good as possible. So I need to put some good film out there. I need some good stats for my defense. I need to actually take this seriously so I can get hired someplace ever again. So I don't know. As for the players, I think they'll be dialed in. I think they'll know, yeah, this is Florida, Georgia. We got to, you know, we got to go. We got to put some good tape out there against a really good opponent. We got to try to shock the world and salvage something from this season. I would have also thought that in 2017 and the guys just shut it down and got embarrassed. I don't think that'll happen in 2021, but there's also a precedent for it not happening. So I, I just don't know. And, and that's the most frightening thing. Like you, you have a guy like Zach Carter, who's, who's been balling this year, despite a not great defense overall. You have a guy like Kyer Elam, who's been balling at corner when he's been healthy. Jason Marshall has shown some good things in spots at corner. Uh, Gervon Dexter has shown some good things in spots. But, I mean, I, I don't think those guys will shut it down. I don't think they'll quit. But I will never be certain of that again. Granted, totally different personnel, completely different team, all new players. I will never be certain that a team – wearing the orange and blue will not shut it down again after what I saw in 2017 in Jacksonville. So that's really my word because if Florida plays hard, 
they ball out. We saw what they did against Alabama. They can do the same thing against Georgia. Alabama and Georgia are very comparable talent-wise. And coaching-wise, I'd probably give the edge to Alabama. So, I mean, if Florida plays hard and they play tough and they fight, this will be a game. And they will make stops. And Zamir White and James Cook will get frustrated because they do have a very good offensive line, just Georgia. But Florida also has some really good players on its defense that people forget about. I mean, Zach Carter and Muhammad Diabati, those guys can cause problems. Kyrie Elam can shut down any team's number one receiver if he's healthy. And Jason Marshall's a really good CB too. So it's not like Florida's personnel is so hopelessly outmanned here. It's that because Georgia has such a great offensive line with such a great running back in Zamir White and another great running back in James Cook, that if Florida's coaching staff doesn't put these guys in the right position, doesn't make, I mean, what I would think would be passing the idiot test, for lack of a better word, passing the idiot test play calls, I mean – Voice trails off, but you know, that's that that's my take there. Uh, I'm I'm worried. I guess that's the biggest question. Which defense do we see? And the problem is we only get one opportunity as far as a score prediction, so we could be way off. And you know, the defense that shows up is different than the defense we expect. So, as far now, the defense has been fairly inconsistent. Um, the offense has been certainly better than the defense overall this season. Um, but the offense has also been inconsistent. Um, we see an offense that loses to Kentucky um, because they have 15 penalties. I don't think all those 15 penalties were on offense, but a significant portion of those were on A lot offense. of them were. Eight false and starts. It, right. Yeah, eight false starts. He can go on and on. Now you go on the other side, and this is the, this team plays LSU. Doesn't have a single penalty against LSU. I mean, that's a wild zero penalties for zero yards, and they still find a way to lose. Now, other than the four interceptions, I don't think the loss is on the offense. Now. If they wouldn't, if if uh, Florida's quarterbacks Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson wouldn't have thrown those four interceptions, there's a good chance that instead of scoring 42, this team scores uh, 49 or, or uh, 56 or some permutation of seven, um, uh, and they they win the game. But I I think we all know why Florida lost the game to LSU. I know, I know. Um, every time we talk about the Georgia game, you like to bring up wheel. Well, I know that every time we we talk about the LSU game, there's going to be another um, inanimate object that we're going to bring up that so happens to also be the name of, of a football play, and it's counter. So better that than shoe. Yeah, at least we got rid of that one. LSU fans got rid of the shoe material. game, and now we have the counter game. Well. well yeah, so talking about the wheel, talking about the offensive side of the ball, I think that's where Florida will potentially have an advantage that no other Georgia opponent did, like Kentucky and Arkansas and Clemson even, surprisingly, didn't have anything to show for their offense. Florida, I well, we, we know the 2QB debate. We know AR versus Emory Jones. I still think... Emory Jones can have success against Georgia if he's used in the right way. If he's used flush, you know, if you run him outside the pocket, give him some very simple pass routes to look through. Maybe you have one guy running a quick dig and one guy running a corner route 20 yards down the field. You say, those are your two options. You see one of them or you don't, and you take off. You play a smart game like that with him and he executes it. Florida's got a chance. But of course the big debate is, well, should we? limit our offense in that sense or should we go with the guy who can use more of the playbook supposedly in Anthony Richardson and let him go through his progressions and sit back there in the pocket and make decisions and hey if he takes off great he can he just happens to be able to do that too so Dustin who do you think should start and who do you think will start because we know that both QBs are going to play so with that in mind who do you think should take the first snaps and who do you think will take the first snaps 
so Neil, um, this is not really a fair question in the sense that you already know my answer. Um, I, obviously, Anthony I Richardson should start. Uh, it's not even a question, honestly. To me, it's not even a question. He should start. Um, looking at the film, I mean, Anthony Richardson looks elite, in my opinion. He, I know that he hasn't played a ton, and he still has some weaknesses. But even his interceptions, um, I understood why he made the throw that he did. Should he, should he have thrown the ball on both those occasions against LSU? No. Should have held on to the ball. But I understood, I understood why he threw the ball where he did. And, and yeah, it, it is what it is. Should have taken the sack, threw the ball, made the right read as far as the receiver he was trying to get to. Just, just got to learn when to hold on to the ball when, when you're, you're having that situation. Um, nonetheless, it's so obvious to me that Anthony Richardson should start. So now I'm going to go on the limb. Um, I'm probably going to be sorely mistaken on this and, and corrected uh, by play two against Georgia on Saturday. But I'm going to go on the limb and say that Anthony Richardson starts. And the what tells me that what tells me that he's going to start two things. Number one, we saw at the end of LSU game. Dan Mullen had the opportunity to continue to treat Emory Jones as the starter, but it was very clear that the second half against LSU, Emory Jones, well, Anthony Richardson was the starter to the extent where um, Anthony Richardson had to come out because of an injury and he got that fixed up and he went right back in. That was the moment that we were all, all the entire Gator Nation was like, oh, man, not this again. Anthony Richardson is playing so good, comes out, and uh, doesn't see the light of day for that particular drive. Well, um, we were all mistaken. We thought, at least I thought, that, that Anthony Richardson would uh, not see the light of day on that particular drive again, but he came back and did pretty good. So I, I think, and, and number two, um, Florida had a bye week. So you talk about getting a young guy experience, getting him the reps, getting him, putting him kind of an off-season or, or preseason camp type of mode, um, getting him in a position where he can best prepare um, as the starter. Um, I don't think that there's a better, a better scenario for Anthony Richardson and Dan Mullen um, than this week. And that's why – probably going to be wrong because Dan Mullen, we all know him. We all know how stubborn he is, but I think it's the perfect scenario for the better quarterback to start. And that's why I think uh, Anthony Richardson is going to be the starting quarterback. So Neil, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that, that, that question was bait by the way. Um, But I I asked it because the answer is going to be different coming from me. I think Emory's going to start. I, I understand it to an extent. Um, I, I do feel like this. it would make sense for Mullen to say to himself, all right, this kid has been loyal to me for three years. I'm going to give him one more chance and see what happens against Georgia. Because remember, after the first quarter against Alabama, Emory played really well. And he played really well in the second half against Tennessee. So it's not like we haven't seen – good Emory Jones. We've seen a lot of bad Emory Jones and we haven't seen a lot of bad Anthony Richardson. And of course the argument being, well, if someone's going to make mistakes, let it be the guy that's a freshman. That's not as experienced. Whereas with Jones, the guy has sat on the bench for three years. This is his fourth year in the system. He's never going to learn. He's never going to improve, even though it is his first year as a starter. He has played significant amount of time before uh, such as against Auburn in 2019. He got some drives in most games that year, really. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Emory's going to start because I think this is Mullen's last real uh, chance with him. And I think it's the starting job that Emory Jones has 
really had all year long. He hasn't really lost it, even though we saw, like you mentioned, AR play the whole second half, aside from when he had to come out for a couple plays to get something fixed. Um, it, it is Emory Jones's team still. It is his his starting job right now, and I don't think he's going to lose it because of one truly bad half against LSU. I think it'll take maybe two or three drives before Mullen puts Anthony Richardson in, despite you know knowing full well that Emory Jones has had more than one bad half like a football this year. I know I just said one bad half against LSU, but – yeah, um, it, it's got to be AR's team, though, for talking about what should happen. It's got to be AR's team to, to learn and grow and develop. Because right now, the season's shot. Even if Florida beats Georgia, it, it's all over. They, don't even, they barely have a shot at a New Year's Six. Like, they'll be, they'll be lucky to make the New Year's Six right now. So this is all about gearing up towards 2022 and doing what should be done for next year where you'll have a competent defensive coordinator and you'll have a lot of the same guys back on both sides of the ball, aside from Carter and Elam, obviously, but yeah. And, and, and AR gives them the best chance to do that. So we're talking should, well, it absolutely should be Anthony Richardson. Um, but I do think it's worth pointing out that I don't think either quarterback is going to light the world on fire against Jordan. Cause that is a, good defense are going up against but i mean between jordan davis and really like the coaches on that side of the ball i mean we've talked all about the coaching deficiencies that florida's got on defense they have really good coaches on that defense dan lanning knows what he's doing the players are dialed in they're they're flying all over the field they're making smart plays meaning you know they're wrapping up dropping the guy down after a three-yard gain rather than going for the the highlight hit to try to knock the ball out they're taking good angles they, they, you know, they set, they, they seal the edge. Well, they do all the fundamental things, right? So against a defense like that, that Florida hasn't faced one of that caliber all year. I don't think either quarterback is going to just tear it up. I think that a defense like that with a more complicated scheme and, and five stars everywhere you look is going to be more likely to bait Emory Jones into mistakes. So it's not that I think AR is going to, torch Georgia's defense and that's why he should start I think it's that whoever the Florida QB is is going to make mistakes let it be the guy who has more eligibility who has more of a future in Gainesville and has more to learn from making those mistakes that's why I'm saying AR 15 well Neil just real quick I, I like that um I, I think the big thing with with Anthony Richardson that I've seen is he's shown flashes of being elite now, with the exception of one or two throws from Emory Jones, I've not seen him throw elite passes. Now, there was one throw against Vanderbilt in the corner of the end zone um, that uh, I believe Whitmore caught it, and that was beautiful. But other than that, man, Neil, I, I want to see the guy who has the highest ceiling, I want to see that guy play against Georgia because I know that he's – that. I know that Anthony Richardson is able to read the whole field. And when a player can read the whole field and get the throw to the right spot, that significantly improves a team's chances to make plays on offense. Now, either quarterback would make mistakes. I agree with you. But Anthony Richardson is the quarterback, in my opinion, that gives Florida the best chance to make this a game. So we're both saying AR-15 should start, but for totally different reasons. Yes. Because I, I look, I've said a million times, I love AR-15. He has not faced a defense that th- that's this talented, this well-coached, or this complex, meaning they're going to have all kinds of stunts and disguise, all kinds of different looks that are going to make him think he's seeing one thing, and then as he throws the ball – uh-oh, what's this? Oh, shit. And now he's throwing a pick because Georgia has fooled him into thinking that they have an engage eight look, and all of a sudden it's his zone blitz, and now you've got five guys back there in coverage, all of them waiting for the ball. And he's throwing an interception that way. So I, I think that if you're going to have someone make those mistakes, let it be the guy with the higher upside. You're saying Anthony Richardson is elite, which, by the way, I agree with. Um He's a better quarterback now. We want to win this game now, which obviously you have to – I mean, you can't not 
have that be on your mind. You have to try to win the game. And I do think AR gives Florida the better chance to win the game. But I'm saying the bigger benefit, the more benefit is coming later down the road. You're setting him up to learn from mistakes against the very good team so that maybe next year, whereas as this game is very important, don't get me wrong, this is a huge game for Florida. If they win, it is going to be a very, very joyful night in Gator Nation. But the bigger output will be next year against a Georgia or an Alabama or maybe a new look LSU with a new elite coach or something like that. And he learned, oh, wait, no, I learned that from Georgia. Let's not make this mistake again. So, yeah, two uh, two interesting sides there, two interesting arguments in favor of AR, both, I think, um, very valid. And with that said, let's get to our verdict, Dustin. Let's talk about keys to the game and a player to watch for, and let's make some score picks. So what's your key to the game? Um, Neil, I know that I say it almost every week. Uh, I'm going to have to go with turnovers. This offense continues to prove, especially from the quarterbacks, and I'll include Anthony Richardson in, in on this as well as Emory Jones. This, uh, this offense has proved to continue to turn over the ball. Um, the quarterbacks continue to throw interceptions, and it's not helpful. And Florida could have beat LSU even with the four interceptions. It came down, like we said earlier, to a stupid inanimate object named play that LSU ran several times. Um, the key is going to be turnovers. Georgia, they're ball hogs. They're, if Florida, not, Florida doesn't, and when I say turnovers, Florida doesn't just have to not turn over the ball on offense, but they have to win the turnover battle by at least two. So I would say a plus two turnover margin in favor of the Gators. Um, so not only does the Florida need to need to not turn over the ball, but also capitalize on uh, pressure and, and get interceptions. It's going to be critical for, for Florida to have any shot at winning this game. Fair. Um, yeah, I mean, that's obviously a very relevant one, given that in the, the late – 2000s turnovers played a huge role in Georgia's demise in this game. Um, I'm going to keep it simpler than that. Just stop the run or at least try. I understand Georgia has a very good offensive line. I understand that they have a tremendous running back in Zamir White and a pretty good backup to Zamir White and James Cook. I get that. But Grantham, for the love of all things holy, if you see Georgia running the same running play over and over again, I know you're going to get fired. I know you know that, but just, just, just try for once in your life to do the right thing and put your guys in position to stop it. It really wouldn't be too much to ask to, to maybe make your guys look good by just putting them in the right spots. Maybe let's not run a four two five if we continue to watch Georgia just slam the ball up the middle every time or even do that counterplay that LSU ran. Um, so that that's on coaching, and that's on the players too. Players, if you're in position, wrap up, make the tackle. Um, you know, Don't go for the humongous hit that's going to get you on SportsCenter. Just bring the guy down, just nice and simple. Take the right angles. Don't try to catch the guy at the 40 because it's going to save you five yards when you can't get him there and you realistically have a shot to only get him down at the 35. Things like that, the fundamentals, um, you know, know what gap you're supposed to attack. Don't run into each other. We had that a couple times against LSU. It wasn't as bad as blocking each other like against Georgia Southern, but we had that. We had a couple guys collide, um, and that's – you know, that, that takes two guys out of commission and turns it into 11 on nine. So let's not do that. Um, and I think Florida will have a chance, but that's a very big if. So player to watch for. Dustin, after you. So, Neil, um, you know how much I love offense. I'm actually going to go with the defensive player in this game. I'm going to go with Zach Carter. Um, I think that he could really neutralize the uh, whatever – opportunity Georgia might have in uh, scoring a ton of points on Florida. He is a dangerous player. Now I do know that teams tend to scheme and double team him and all that, but 
he's still a dangerous player. And when you're talking about going up against uh, uh, an offensive line as elite as George's, you need to be sound on the defensive line. You need to be able to uh, contain. Um, I think not only is Zach Carter excellent at, at, at uh, rushing the passer, but he's arguably just as good, if not even better, at uh, containing. Now, unfortunately, unfortunately, it didn't, it didn't quite work out because of the, the blatant numbers disadvantage um, in terms of the number of defenders in the box versus the number of blockers last week again, or two weeks ago against LSU. But assuming that we don't make that mistake again, and, and there is a, there is some either um, it's, we're even across the board as far as the numbers game or Florida is actually winning the numbers game as far as how many they have in the box versus how many blockers Georgia has. I think Zach Carter is going to have a good game. Uh, will he get a ton of sacks? I don't know. I hope he does. No, um, no chance. Sorry, yeah, I, no I, ch- I interrupted your your uh, your segment, but I just thought that 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 was funny because Georgia's going to be making sure he doesn't get in the backfield. Right. I I think he's a big time player to watch. Um, we'll see what happens. Sure. I'll, I'll say this: if he if he does get in the backfield, it's going to be a good day for the Gators. Sure. And look, it's no knock against him to say that he won't. It's just saying Georgia has a tremendous offensive line. They know that Zach Carter is the only real proven threat to hurt them on a consistent basis. They're going to do what Bethune-Cookman did to James Houston. They're going to specifically game plan for him, say someone else on the defense can beat us, but you will not. And I mean, it's just, it's hard for Aaron Donald or JJ Watt to dominate with that. I mean, it's hard for all pro pro bowler NFL defensive linemen to make an impact on the game when he's specifically being targeted by an offensive line. So I I agree. He's the, the guy to watch for, for Georgia. So that means to me, someone else is going to have to step up and have a big day on defense. And because of that, because of that very, that very line of logic, I'm going with Mahmoud Diabate. He is a linebacker that I think had a, a freshman year that had all of us thinking, all right, this guy's going to be special. Because of the personnel decisions that Todd Grantham makes that I believe he makes by spinning a wheel. Yes, that's a wheel rod joke. I don't think we have seen him come close to hitting his potential yet. So this might be a game for him to do it because Georgia is going to be, I mean, like I said, they're going to be scheming for Zach Carter, or at least they should be. And if Todd Grantham has any real interest in putting his players in the position they should be in, Diabate is probably the guy that benefits the most. Tyron Hopper, probably a close second. But these Florida linebackers have got to show something and justify you know, their preseason hype. So score predictions, Dustin, after you. Yeah, man. Um, I'm, I'm surprised you, you keep having me go first. Uh, Neil upsets are, are a part of the game. And if this 2021 Renaissance year for college football has proven over and over and over, it's proven that upsets not only do happen, but we should expect the unexpected. And I said that at the beginning of the show, and I'm going to say it again now. Now, the key word is expect the unexpected. Unfortunately, when it comes to my score prediction, I can't go with the unexpected. I have to go with what I expect. And I expect the number one team in the country to play like the number one team. And I expect a, a Florida defense, which, which the problems mainly rest on the, the coordinator, a, a guy who is clearly on his way out. I, I, I don't have faith in him. And because I don't have faith in the defense, I, I, I don't think this is going to be I, – I don't think the Gators can do it. I hope, I hope they prove me wrong. I hope that the unexpected does happen. I hope, I hope the Gators shock the shock the world, and 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 beat the number one team. 
but I can't pick that. So I'm going to go with uh, Florida 34. Well, nope. Georgia 34, and I'm going to go Florida 13. Hmm. That's my score. Pretty close to what I've got. Um, I'll, I'll say this. I, I've seen people on Twitter talking about how they have 2017 vibes. No, no, it, it's nothing like 2017. 2017, we knew the operation was going down in flames. Like we knew it was over. I don't get that sense in this team. I, I think that that this current team is very, very close to Chernobyl and everything just avalanching down on their heads and it being a repeat of 2017. But I don't think it's there yet. Like it was in the process of happening as the team was getting ready for Georgia. I don't think the avalanche has begun. I don't think the first you know, little amount of snow has been kicked in and the walls haven't, haven't even started collapsing yet. But I could be wrong. Maybe we have shut it down. But I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they have not done so yet. So I don't think it's going to be 42-7 or 42-0 or 38-3 or anything like that. I think Florida will at least show some fight the way they did against Alabama the difference between Georgia and Alabama, though, is that Alabama has a pretty good defense. Georgia has an elite defense. So I think Florida goes down 14-3 or 21-7 or something, kind of like how they did against Alabama. But the difference is their defense will wake up, but the offense won't be able to claw back, even with Richardson at QB. Because remember, Emory played well in that game. He was reading the field you know, at least – somewhat he was making good throws he was taken off and beating bama for a few yards with his legs here and there but georgia's defense is something that florida has not seen this year it is more talented it is faster it is stronger it is better coached and the scheme is more complicated than anything that the gators have seen this year they rely on all kinds of of pre-snap and and even post-snap movement they rely on stunts and zone blitzes and and cleverly disguised spies and blitzes and everything here and there i don't think florida will be able to prepare for that so the the gators won't get shut out it won't be you know the end of that streak it won't be a three or a seven next to their name but i i don't see this florida team fighting back from an early deficit so i'm gonna go with 31 14 georgia not a complete and utter beatdown, but not really a mistake either we we will we will see the better team win the game which is depressing to think about because in the offseason, a lot of people had this pegged as a win for Florida. But we'll see. Crazier things have happened. You mentioned 2002, 2003, 2005. I like to point out 2010 as, an, as one of those upsets because Florida was imploding while Georgia had seemingly found itself and the teams were going in opposite directions momentum-wise there. Of course, 2014, even 1992, if you want to go way back, uh, 1984, if you want to go really, really far back, Gators obliterated Georgia in that game then. And, you know, that's why they play the games, Dustin. I'm sorry you won't be there, but I will be. Um, oh, and, of course, our sponsors. Got to shout them out real quick before we call this a show. Uh, as usual, we're proudly partnered by the Gate with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp. We did so in 2021 with a special individual named Ontario Jones, a former U.S. military member. Um, we got to see, we got him to see his first ever Gator game before his eyesight goes away after he tragically suffered an accident in the Army in a, a laser training incident. Um, but we're looking towards 2022 now. So if you'd like to donate and help us get to do that, please go to GatorGoodFoundation.com. Links to the donate button are at the top of the website. Second, we're proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting in your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients, whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or somebody you know needs professional help in any of the above, we give you all two great reasons every show why you should choose Stingray Branding and we'll give them to you again. It is a veteran-owned business, and it is run by a Florida Gator fan. So they do great work, but they do great work, and they're owned by a Florida Gator fan who happens to be a U.S. veteran. And you can go to GatorGoodFoundation.com, see the Gator Good site that these folks did to see for yourself. 
To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. Dustin, I'm sorry you won't be there in Jack's. Uh, I'm looking forward to the experience. Even, even if Florida gets blown away, I think it'll still be a fun time. I'm going to see some family. I'm going to experience the whole party there that the city of Jacksonville puts on for the game. Uh, it'll, it'll definitely be a teaser, if nothing else, for a year, which Florida is competent and has a real hope of, of winning the game and, and the morale is high in the fan base. So it'll, it'll be a good warm up for that uh, at worst. And at best, Hey, we, maybe we pull another upset. We mentioned, you know, 02, 03, 05, 10, 14, and 92. Maybe we get another one. Who knows? Yeah, deal. Um, again, we, we certainly hope we're wrong. Uh, we're both going to be cheering the heck out of the Gators on Saturday and, and, uh, you know, who knows? I might even just put out on Twitter uh, randomly Saturday morning and be like, hey, I feel different. I feel like the Gators can pull it out. But, again, we're here to tell like it is, you know, what, what you always say, keep it respectful but keep it real. And we're keeping it real. Um, it's going to be a tall order for this team to pull out the victory. Um, but, again, in all kinds of weather, we all stick together. Um, go Gators. Go Gators, y'all.